0: Everybody, we're, we are back here for the UFC results podcast for UFC on Fox 28. Josh Emmett versus Jeremy Stevens. Boy, oh boy, this was a really fantastic card. I, I thought it, from uh, top to bottom, it provided a lot of good action. There was a lot of big performances, good finishes, good fights throughout the card. Really entertaining. There weren't a lot of points in the card where it was a, a lull or a lag or anything like that. Of course, the Fox cards are always great because they end pretty early. Recording this at 9:55 p.m. on a Saturday night, which is pretty awesome considering we would still be within the first, ra- the first hour of a pay-per-view main card. And those Fox Sports One cards do drag out quite a bit. Uh, I don't, for reasons unknown to me. But let's get into this um, great card, top to bottom. Like I said, we'll start with uh, Jeremy Stevens versus Josh Emmett. Um, so let's just go through this. I was able to get a lot of notes on this, try to help, uh, build the picture for y'all. But yeah, when they came, both came out looking to get, you know, into the range, get their, um, just get comfortable with standing up with each other. It, it was pretty apparent that they were both pretty respectful of each other's power. They were just, um, you know, feeling each other out for sure. And, uh, Stevens began to land a little bit more effectively in the middle of the round towards the later end of the round. Uh, he was able to start landing some of his hard shots here and there, but Emmett was doing a pretty good job of staying on the outside, not getting getting uh, caught in the pocket for too long at time, and then at one point Emmett hurt and dropped Stevens briefly with a counter right. Uh, he was up against the cage and Stevens was coming in a little bit too over aggressive, and then, uh, really got badly, or really got hurt for a brief moment in time. Uh, they were, he was able to get back to his feet and then ended, the round ended up ending, uh, without too much trouble for Jeremy. He definitely lost that first round, but that drew a lot of confidence from Josh Emmett. He was able to, um, taunt a little bit there and, uh, and say, like, I'm here, I'm ready for the fight, and at that point in time, I was like, wow, I was like, this this would be a humongous win for Josh Emmett If he was able to get that um, that win, it would have been huge for him, but as most of you already know, Josh Simmett, they came back out. Pace of, pace of the fight was similar to the first round, starting to land where some of uh, Jeremy Stevens' heavy leg kicks, which I thought he should have done earlier in the first round when they were getting their filling out process where they couldn't really find a rhythm for each fight for either fighter i thought jeremy stevens has some of the best and heaviest leg kicks in the game in the in the featherweight division and it's been pretty apparent in the last two fights that those are a real weapon for him so i was pretty surprised that he wasn't able to connect a lot more with josh emmett's lead leg but at the same time, as I had said previously, Emmett did do a pretty good job of moving around the cage and not really staying in range too long or staying flat-footed, so that could have been one of the reasons why he wasn't landing as much. Um, but as they started to to finally exchange, uh, Jeremy Stevens hit Emmett with a huge left hook that, that dropped him badly, and you could tell that Emmett was badly, badly hurt more than Stevens was when... He got hurt in the first round, and then Stevens proceeded to land a couple elbows that we'll have to talk about here in just a second. He proceeded to throw a knee that would have been illegal due to the fact that Emmett was a downed opponent at that point, and it's it's um it's hard to tell whether or not it did land or not. And then and then he followed it up with just landing some nasty nasty elbows, two two more elbows to end the fight and to put. Josh Emmett's Lights Out says he was non-responsive for a little bit of time until he was able to come to after those two devastating elbows landed on the ground. So, huge, huge win for Jeremy Stevens. I thought this was a fantastic performance and comeback victory for him, considering that he got dropped in that first round. I think that he just got a little bit too over-aggressive in that first round. Once he was able to just stay patient, find his shot, he was able to land and land nasty, of course, but let's talk about those elbows and the, that knee. I, I, I want to say this a lot of people are saying those were definitely illegal elbows. I've seen elbows like that landed before punches like that landed in, in a similar area and I've seen where people all agree that they're they're not illegal so it's really tough call for me. Um, I, I don't know whether or not that was illegal or not if it was it was just one elbow. Nonetheless, that that wouldn't be acceptable in my eyes. Uh, where I think there was an illegal strike landed was the knee. Um, it did appear that he may have barely, barely caught the head on the knee going, you know, while throwing it. But he definitely caught it coming back down. And while I don't think that those that the placement of those elbows or the knee strike itself were so significant that that's what ended up being the deciding factor in this fight. I do believe that it should have been called, either stopped or possibly called a no contest. There will be real reason for Josh Emmett to go back and at least appeal this fight. You know how those typically go. A lot of times those don't really work out too well. Um, Appeals typically are shut down, so I don't think he'll be successful, but... It does, I, I, as much as I would have hated to see it, it does feel like if they had called it a no contest due to the fact that there were some illegal strikes landed, I wouldn't be able to disagree with it. So that's just really unfortunate for Josh Emmett. It's really unfortunate for Jeremy Stevens because that's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths on this fight in a performance where I didn't think he necessarily... Those strikes that were in question were necessarily the deciding factor and I don't think he needed them to finish the fight. I think the elbows that he landed afterwards, the punch that he landed beforehand, I think those were really the deciding factors. So it's just going to be a tough go around for everyone um, all the way around. But man, this is a fantastic win for Jeremy Stevens. He was calling for the title shot afterwards, saying that there's only like three guys in front of him, uh, give him the fight. So he lost uh, Frankie Edgar And then, Hanato Carnero by split decision, but ever since then, he's defeated Gilbert Melendez by by unanimous decision, Duho Choi by TKO, and then Josh Emmett by KO. I mean, he has looked like, he looks like, ever since that two-fight losing streak, that he's really improved immensely. I'm not sure that he's ready for the title shot. Um, Obviously, I believe that Frankie Edgar, Brian Ortega winner should get the shot over him. There's no doubt about that, but I will, definitely wouldn't mind seeing Jeremy Stevens step into octagon with the Cubs Swanson if they're able to I uh, believe that they renew, they, they're renew in talks for renewing um, his contract. I know that he's coming off a loss. Maybe, maybe the fight you do is, is Jeremy Stevens versus Chan Sung Jung. That would be an incredible fight, an incredible contest. Two guys who really know how to throw down, have a lot of power in their hands, that would be... An absolutely entertaining fight. Chan Sung Jung's coming off a huge victory of himself over Dennis Bermudez in his return fight. Um, I think that that would be a fight that would be suitable for both guys. So let's see that next, and then if Jeremy is able to get that win, maybe he faces the winner of Max Holloway versus the winner of Edgar and Ortega. For Jeremy, for Josh Emmett, I, this fight proved to me that his power is not is not um, something that that's that's just fake or he just landed a, a great shot against Ricardo Lamas. I mean, he's landed some heavy, heavy shots against F- Felipe Arantes. He landed a, a nasty knockout blow to um, Ricardo Lamas in his last fight, and now he did some damage to Jeremy Stevens as well. So in saying that, I think that this guy's got a lot of potential to still be a contender. In this weight class, if they are able to sign, resign Cubs Swanson, maybe that's a fight that they would like to do next as uh, they're both coming off losses. Or he could wait for the loser between Frankie Edgar and Brian Ortega. You might do something like that. Another good option would be Darren Elkins, who's been really resilient in his past few fights, but right now is sitting at number 9 in the rankings. So that might be a good fight to, to watch as well. So let's see some of those fights play out. I think there, there's a few options for Josh Emmett just wasn't his night tonight unfortunately but for Jeremy Stevens definitely a huge huge victory i think this puts him one uh, one win away from from actually getting the title shot all right let's move on to the co-main event of the evening which was Jessica Andrade versus Tisha Torres so this was a really intriguing fight and to begin the first round, Torres was doing an outstanding job of being really effective with her movement, her speed. She was a lot more accurate than Jessica Andrade was earlier, um, early in that first round. But later in the round, Torres was still landing, but Andrade star- started to begin landing some of her heavy shots as well. She was really, really pressuring Torres the whole time. It was a question of would Torres be able to keep maintain this pace? Because we know that Andrade, even after 25 minutes in a fight with Joanna Jacek where she got uh, really badly outstruck, was able to consistently keep the pressure on at least and able to at least throw the strikes. She wasn't very effective in that fight, but she was at least able to maintain that pace. So the question here was, was Tisha Torres going to be able to maintain that pace? And it started to show at the end of the first round that she may have some issues with that. So she was stalking very heavily Tisha, and then at the very, um, I think with about 10 seconds left, she landed a very easy takedown on Torres. It was very apparent that her strength and power was really overwhelmingly uh, an advantage for her over Torres. It made it a very difficult round to score because I thought Torres landed the better shots as the round began, was a lot quicker, was making Andrade's miss. But then Andrade was able to land uh, her fair share, the fair, fair share of her own later in the round, and then able to get the takedown. I actually scored that round a draw. So I actually gave it a 10-10 round to both fighters because I thought it was such a close round. I don't think the, the judges did that, but that's what I scored it. Second round, after they started to exchange on the feet, Andrade was able to land another takedown and control much of the action against the cage, against the fence, and on the ground. Uh, Torres, you know, his, her only success really in this round was a, a pretty good leg kick, or up kick, I'm sorry. She um, tried for her own takedown at the end of the round, but Andrade was not having it, and the round ended that way. This round was really just dominated by Andrade, just figuring out from that first round that, you know what, I have a real advantage here, I can just consistently take Torres down, and uh, that will be my path to victory. I don't have to stand and, and uh, you know exchange with her so much, because Torres is a very skilled fighter, probably the better skilled Technician as far as when it comes to striking, so why why um, fight that battle when you're clearly better on the ground? So I definitely gave that round to Andrade. In the third round, it was uh, more of the same for Andrade. He just came out, imposed her will, continued to take down Taurus with various uh, throws, with uh, some trip takedowns. Also had some you know conventional wrestling takedowns as well. Torres was able to get back uh, quite a few times, which was impressive, but it was only for a brief moment, and then, you know, Andraja was right back on there, getting her back down to the ground, you know, landing some ground and pound here and there. was being very effective the whole round. Torres near the end of the round, was briefly able to get Andrage's back, but Andrage was just too powerful, too strong in the ground uh, aspect of this fight, and she was able to really just, um, she was able to shake her off, as soon as she got her back taken, it only took her about 15-20 seconds to get Torres off her back, and then she was on top for the rest of the round. And um, round the fight ended up that way, ended up going that out that way. It was a really entertaining fight, really good fight. Even though there was a lot of grappling, I thought that there was a lot of scrambles and uh, cases where Torres was staying competitive and trying to get up. She was never really in a lot of trouble, and neither was Andrade. But it was just a good overall fight. I gave the fight to Andraj 30-28, and she won by unanimous decision on the judges' scorecards as well. So, great, great win for Jessica Andraj. I think what's next for her is—I uh, think it's going to be really hard for them to deny her a uh, a title shot next, especially if Rose Namajunas wins. I think you have to do Jessica Andraj versus Namajunas. Andraj, with her pure strength and power, along with her cardio, her ability to go at a, such a high pace and really stalk you and really wear you out because she's always um, coming forward. I think that that's a real issue for a lot of fighters. I think it was probably just about her worst matchup because Jön Jacek has fantastic cardio as well. Does a really good job of uh, striking at distance and striking on the move as well. So I thought that that fight was just a really bad matchup, but I wouldn't put it past Andrade to be able to make the the necessary adjustments against Jan Jacek and definitely could provide some real issues for a girl, a woman like Rose Namajunas, the current champion. So if Namajunas wins against Jan Jacek in the rematch, I think you got to do Andras versus Namajunas. If Jan Jacek wins, it's really no telling what's gonna happen at that point. There could be a couple different options. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that yon Jacek, having had some issues with her weight cut the last time out against Nama Yunus, maybe start to talk about. Okay, I got my one fifteen pound title back. Let me get the. Let me go up to to featherweight. So that could uh or to flyweight. I'm sorry. So that could throw a wrench in the plans, of course, so we'll see what happens there. If she's not able to get the title shot next, perhaps you he gave her um, the winner of, of Kovalevich. She's fighting, I believe she's fighting Felice Herrig next, so maybe you do something like that. Uh, Claudia Gadelia, she just beat. Atisa Torres, she just beat. Uh, possibly if carla esparza defeats claudia cadilla you could do that but you'd have to wait to see how some of these fights play out before you could give her next opponent if it doesn't end up being for the title as far as torres she'll just need to get another matchup uh... there's a lot of matchups that she could get at this point that i would be okay with uh... not one in particular really stands out to me so but she showed she showed up in this fight. I thought that she really let her hands loose. She showed a lot of her ability that I haven't seen in some prior fights. It actually gave me a lot more hope for her... The fight for her future, I think that if she's able to let her hands go, her striking go like she did tonight, she'll actually be a huge, huge problem for a lot of other women. It's just that she couldn't deal with the pressure. She's got to go back and make some adjustments if she ever does fight Andraj again. But I would expect for her to be very competitive in a fight against Andraj once again, should she, should she be able to shore up some of her uh, takedown defense issues. Next fight was Ovin St. Pru versus Alir Latifi. So going into this fight, I know a lot of people have been high on Ovin St. Pru for quite some time now. But I haven't been high on Ovin St. Pru for quite a while. Um, You know, looking back at his record, he lost to Aaliyah Latifi tonight. And then the three wins before that, he won against Corey Anderson, Yushin Okami, and Marcus Rogério de Lima, and a lot of people were saying, "Oh, he's on a three-fight win streak." Okami is clearly past his prime and is fighting at welterweight for his ne- next fight, not light heavyweight. Corey Anderson is one of these guys who I thought did have some potential, but is just clearly not the elite of the elite in the light heavyweight division. And Marcos Rogério de Lima is uh, another guy who's not an elite fighter or ranked fighter in that light heavyweight um, title picture. Right, so in that light heavyweight division. Then his three losses before that were to Volcan Özdemir, who's clearly uh, one of the better fighters in that light heavyweight division, just fought for the title. Jimmy Manoa, who, even though he's had some issues with himself losing to Özdemir and Gustafsson, looks to be clearly one of the better fighters in that division. And then obviously the loss to John Jones, no issue there. One against Rafael Cavalcante. but. Lost to Glover Teixeira, won against Patrick Cummings, and a very much past his primal ratio, Shogun Hua, before that losing to Ryan Bader. He just doesn't have any wins that really stand out to me that say he has a win against a really elite fighter in the light heavyweight division. He's also lost to Gegard Mousasi, so any time he's had a real ability to fight an elite guy, he has not been able to come out with a victory. Um... So, I, I haven't been super high on events. I think that he does have a lot of athleticism, but he just has never been able to put it together to where he could be, become a real high-level um, mixed martial art athlete. I've been a little bit higher on Alir Latifi than some others have been. I think I've been super impressed with his abilities, that he does have his explosiveness and his strength and his power. I think what really hurts him in fights against like Ryan Bader and John Blazkowicz and uh, Gegard Mousasi is that he just has he doesn't really have the ideal body type for a mixed martial artist. I would say, especially in that light heavyweight division, he's always going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage when it comes to the reach and his height in that division. Um, and I thought that that would be what would be his detriment if he were to lose this fight against Ovince St. Preux. But nonetheless, what what really happened in this fight was that uh, Daniel Cormier kept saying. Latifi does not want to fight at this range. And the reason why he kept saying that is because Ovin Saint Prue was fighting at his his range where they weren't really too far inside. They were a little bit outside. But I thought Latifi was actually fighting very well at that range in this fight. And Saint Pru was having a has tr- having trouble figuring out, um, getting his rhythm, getting his striking going. He never really got anything off. Latifi was landing from the outside. Um, He was staying on the outside, and then he would kind of blitz in a little bit, land a couple punches, and he was throwing very explosive, hard, powerful punches. And then he was able to uh, land leg kicks from the outside. So I thought that that was a really good tactic in his game plan, was when you're on the outside, when you're not in range, land the, the kicks to the leg and be effective in that in that range and then be effective coming in by exploding with some punches and getting right back out so I thought he did a great job with that Saint Pru again really wasn't able to get anything going he was having a lot of trouble with Latifi just uh, exploding in and out Latifi then landed a huge left hand that really badly hurt St. Preux he had his back um, He had his back for a a brief moment where he was landing some punches while they were standing, and St. Prue was kind of holding on to the top of the octagon. And then as St. Prue turned around, he was against the cage. Latifi synced up a guillotine choke, uh, a standing guillotine choke against the the fence. Had to adjust it a little bit, but then you see St. Prue actually tapped out uh, before um, he actually went out. Latifi actually put St. Prue to sleep to the point where St. Prue just fell to the ground and Latifi felt it and the fight was stopped because Ovin St. Prue was out from the standing guillotine choke. St. Prue did tap out, but the ref was on the wrong side and didn't see it. Can't really blame the ref in that situation. He was trying to figure out, he was trying to look closely on the other side to see if St. Prue was still conscious or not. But the tap was pretty quick. They didn't hold on to it much longer before uh, saint prue went to sleep so it wasn't egregious or anything like that <coughs> it was just one of those things that was a little bit unfortunate where Ovince had to go to sleep instead of um, the fight being stopped at with that tap but latifi did a great job in this fight i thought he fought his fight he really impu- he really implemented um, the skills that he uses best he did a great job with his game plan uh, like i said using those kicks on the outside and then exploding in and landing with some of those hard punches. And then that paid off with landing with that huge left hand. And then he was just instinctive in getting that guillotine choke and not letting it go. So great job by Latifi. He called out Daniel Cormier after. Got a little bit awkward when he was expecting an answer right away from Cormier, the champ. But uh, obviously Cormier is going to go up and fight. Um, He's going to be going up and fighting... Steve Miocic for the heavyweight title, and then if he should come back down to light heavyweight, his next fight would probably be against a John Jones or an Alexander Gustafson. So I don't see that fight happening anytime soon. In fact, if Daniel Cormier stays true to his word, I don't see that fight happening at all, because by the time that it would be um, available for Latifi to get that fight, I think that uh, Daniel Cormier will have already retired by then. But he does uh, shoot himself up into these rankings. So Vincent Prue was number 5. I think that you could do possibly a Jimmy Manoa versus of versus um, a Lier Latifi fight. That would be something to watch. But I think the fight to make right now would be volcano Ozdemir versus Lier Latifi. That would be a fantastic fight. Ozdemir is coming off a loss to Daniel Cormier but it's still very highly regarded in, division, in the division. If Latifi could get a win against another powerhouse in uh, Volkan, Özdemir, especially with that size the size advantage, that reach advantage that Özdemir has over Latifi, I think that that would make a huge statement in saying that Latifi has figured out how to fight these guys who are a lot bigger than him when it comes to their height and the reach. And if he's able to do that, I think he puts himself one fight away or maybe into that title shot picture right then and there with this division being so shallow. And with John Jones and Daniel Cormier's futures not really being well known due to the fact that Cormier could retire soon, John Jones is still waiting to see what his suspension is going to look like. As far as Ovince St. Preux goes, he's just going to have to go back down the line. Maybe do Ovin St. Preux versus Misha Serkinov, two guys that are coming off of losses, two guys that, Seem to once once they start building a little bit of hype, they can't really get over the hump. I think that those are two guys close in comparison right now. I think that would be a good fight to make for those two. Let's go back down to the next fight. Let's go to Mike Perry versus Max Griffin. Really disappointing effort for Mike Perry, nonetheless. I mean, he fought all the way through. Was really tough throughout the the whole fight, but just wasn't able to get his game plan. Uh, to work and, and come out on top. Max Griffin had a huge reach advantage over Mike Perry. I want to say like five or six inches. And that gave me pause before the fight. I was like, hmm, okay, this could be a little bit tougher for Mike Perry than I thought. Well, it really was. I mean Perry came out, he was struggling with the reach advantage that Griffin uh was posing to towards him. And he just couldn't find his range. He was missing with a lot of his punches. He wasn't throwing very much. And then Griffin, he was doing an excellent job of just landing and getting out immediately out of the way. He was continuing to move, you know, uh, circling out of out of range. Perry was effective with his leg kicks uh, to a certain extent, but he just wasn't able to get his range down. Perry got a takedown at the end of the, the round and got his back and finished around and mount, actually. But by that time, it was too late little too late, I thought, but I, that gave me think, that gave me the thought, oh, okay, so Max Griffin isn't going to be very good on the ground. Perry, we don't typically think of him as a ground fighter, but he got the takedown pretty easily, he got the back pretty easily, then he actually transitioned into the mount pretty easily within like 20, 10 to 20 seconds, so I thought, okay, going into the second round, uh, Max Griffin's definitely up because he landed more effective punches, was just able to get in. In and out when he wanted to, and was really able to avoid Mike Perry's power. But Mike Perry will st- start to figure out that oh, let me just wrestle him. it could be a bad matchup as far as striking wise. It may not be that Perry is worse uh, is a worse striker than Griffin, but he's just not gonna have the ability to get inside. Well, that's not really what happened in the second round. Griffin continued with his movement, and um, you know, with the reach that really gave Perry. Uh, Huge struggles. He started to land a little bit more, um, a little bit more often. But then he got dropped by Griffin within the round, with a with a life hook at the re- end of the round. He was able to survive the round. wasn't It didn't look like he was ever going to get finished. To you know, in the round, it just looked like um, he dropped real quick, got back up, and then he was able to be defensive enough. And then he tried to land some of his own offense. But again. Uh, Max Griffin was able to implement the same game plan as he did in the first round. Was a little bit more effective with getting the knockdown, so that was definitely um, round to Max Griffin. And there was no grappling in that third round. on in that second round for Mike Perry, unfortunately. Then they came out in the third. Same same story. You know, Griffin just touching him a, a couple times, um, and then Perry finally started to get a little bit more aggressive. Not that he wasn't in the first two rounds, but he was being a, a, a little bit more effective, stalking and, and really uh, getting Perry within his range. He started to land some, some big punches and, and started to, and Griffin was starting to land less and throw less. It almost looked as if Griffin was going to be content with getting the decision victory. He knew he had two rounds in the bag and he really did not want to risk getting knocked out by Mike Perry. So, um, Perry was having a lot more success because he didn't have to deal with the counters of Griffin. He was still moving around quite a bit, but he didn't have to really worry about getting tagged too too badly. Then Perry finally got um, the fight to the ground once again within the last two sec- last 10 seconds, and that goes to, to my point where I thought he could have really maybe dominated this fight in the second and third rounds on the ground and then landed some big punches on the feet had he had good cardio and had Griffin maybe been worn out a little bit but it was too little too late at this point in time i thought that Perry definitely tried to go for the finish but he wasn't able to get it and he won that third round but the judges agreed that Griffin won that round won that fight unanimous decision for Max Griffin great win for Griffin i would say this um not impressed with that third round by Griffin. He, he just looked like a fighter that was content to win a fight and, and, and not not lose. Um, he was just making sure he didn't lose. And I, I don't ever like that mentality from the fighters. I think that the best of the best typically will come out whenever, you know, on top. Even when they put themselves in a position where potentially they could be taking some risks. But there's a way to still went around without having to take that much risk. And the fact that he wasn't able to do that gave me a little bit of pause. I thought, you know, with his physique, with his length, his effectiveness, interesting guy to watch. But that last round kind of turned me off. It kind of made me feel like he did not believe wholeheartedly in his in his abilities to make sure that he didn't get knocked out. You got to have a little bit more confidence in that. Um, but kudos to him. He won the fight. He got a win over a guy who had a lot of hype over him um, And Mike Perry. Unfortunate for Mike Perry. I mean, I think that he's got some skills to work with. He's still, you know, I believe he's still only 25 years old. I don't think that this is the end of him. I don't think that this is the end of his hype train. I think he still has a lot of ability to go back out there and potentially work his way back up into that top 10, top 15 range of the division. He's still only 26. I do see some improvements on his offensive wrestling and things of that nature, but he just needs to go back to the drawing board. He really needs to, as Daniel Cormier was talking about, really improve on feinting and really making people second-guess themselves. He just kind of loads up too much and he only you know moves whenever he's ready to punch and you've got to be able to feint and kind of trick your opponent a little bit more and then if he's able to use his, offensive, his wrestling offensively and get his cardio to be even better, because I think that maybe he was a little worried about his cardio, so that's why he ultimately did not grapple. If he can improve on those things, I think he could be a pretty dangerous fighter because he has a ton, a ton of power. It was pretty apparent when Griffin was, would be touched by Perry that he did not like it and that he needed to get out of there right away. So. Unfortunate for Mike Perry losing in what he considers to be his hometown, but on the other hand, Griffin had a great great fight. So and Burrell versus Brian Kelleher. This was an interesting battle right here. Early on, Burrell was landing pretty accurately with his counter strikes. Um, you know, he did a good job of kicking, uh, of landing that calf kick and making Kelleher take notice of it, making Kelleher defend it. Right around like the fourth or fifth time that it had been. Uh, that he attempted that strike, but then Kelleher just was continuing to pressure him the whole time. He he uh, he really did not let Burrell breathe too much. He continued, and uh, they they ended up getting into clinch battle against the fence quite often. Kelleher uh, was just trying to 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 land and uh, he was able to land the right again and briefly knocked down Burrell and then they got back to the clinch and and then at the end of the round they they uh, separated from the clinch and and that's how the round ended but what I would say is that is that um, Kelleher was definitely taking some risk here Burrell. Could have definitely ended his night had he landed the right strike, and he was landing a lot of good strikes, but it just was apparent to me that Kelleher wasn't really too worried about that and that he felt confident in his own power and his own chin that this was the type of game plan that he was going to implement. Early on in the second round, they began getting into the clinch again against the fence, battling for position. No one was really super dominant in these positions. Kelleher was getting a little bit of the better of these positions. A um, couple times the ref had to break up the action, of course. And then, uh, you know, both both uh, exchanged a little bit more before going getting back into the clinch. And then, you know, the ref had to break up the clinch once again with about 10 seconds left. So this was just a lot of rinse and repeat here in this round. I thought that Keller won this round uh, again. And I believe that... Kellerher won that first round, so I thought going into the third it was two nothing Kellerher, um, and then in that third round it was a lot of the same in the second round where both men were uh, both men were exchanging. There was a lot of clinch work again, but then. Barral was hurt really badly around the 130 mark or so. Barral was continuing to fire back against the cage, but Kelleher just poured it on him, was being a lot more effective with the strikes, a lot more power in his punches, and you could just tell when they were hitting Burrell that he was very, very close to going out. He almost, almost got finished at the end of that round, um... Had there been another 10 seconds left, I believe Brian Kelleher would be celebrating a, a TKO or KO victory over Hennembarau. A huge, huge win for Brian Kelleher. I scored this fight 30 to 27, and that's what the judges gave him as well. 30-27 unanimous decision victory over Hennembarau. I would say this: uh, Hennembarau looked phenomenal as far as his his um, his physique coming into 135. He just does not scare people the way that he used to. People were so tentative against him, and now people understand that you put a little bit of pressure, you you, you apply a lot, a good amount of movement for yourself, uh, good he- head head movement for yourself, and you can really land some effective strikes against this guy. And um, just just make sure you're being careful enough to where you don't get knocked out. But um, should you be able to close the distance and really get in there gets very uncomfortable for him. and You tire him out against the cage a little bit. You make him just work and consistently work and that's going to be an issue for him. So Brian Kelleher, awesome, awesome win here. Uh, let's see what that does for his record at this point. Looks like that makes him 3-1 and one in the In the UFC, he won against Yuri Alcantara by submission, lost to Marlon Vera by submission. He won against Damian Stasiak uh, by TKO punches, and then won by decision victory against Hinnom Burrell. So, when you look at that bantamweight division right there, I'm not too sure if he's ready for the top 15 just yet. Um, You know, there's some real killers in there for sure. Uh, maybe just someone right outside the top 15, uh, but I don't know. I mean, he did defeat a former bantamweight champion, so you could give him someone, you, you know, within that 10 to 15 range right there. Uh, maybe a Rob Font would be a, a fantastic fight. I think that would be a good matchup right there. Two guys that are looking to climb the ranks of the division, I think that uh, that would be a fantastic fight. I could see that being extremely entertaining and action packed as well. For Henin-Burrell, it's unfortunate. Just a career that has gone a little bit awry at this point in time. He's lost to Kelleher. Algerman Sterling had picked up a victory over Philippe Nover. But then before that, lost to Jeremy Stevens, T.J. Dillashaw picked up a victory against Mitch Gengion. And then lost to T.J. Dillashaw before that. He has not fought and defeated an elite or high-level um, competitor or even top 10 top 15 competitor since defeating Uriah Faber Eddie Wineland and Michael McDonald so it's been quite some time it just looks like at this point in time he may have had too many wars in the gyms and you know those TJ Dillashaw fights they just really changed them i think uh, i think a lot of pe- a lot of people look at junior dos career really taking a downturn for the worse whenever he fought Kane twice and you t- you take a look at Henry Barras or when he fought Kane three times and took two really, really bad beatings. You look at Hindenborough's career, and it's similar to that. He took two really bad beatings that ended up in TKOs in both fights against C.J. Dillashaw, and I think that may have changed him for the worse. Unfortunately, he's just not able to take the same damage, and because of that, he's not able to be as offensive as he would like to be and as aggressive as he would like to be which doesn't make him as confident as he would like to be. So unfortunate for uh, Burrell, but that's just the reality of his career unfortunately. still very dangerous fighter, but I don't ever see getting back to that title picture. Sarah McMahon versus uh, Marion Renault, this was just pretty this was pretty simple. Sarah McMahon was able to really uh, get get this fight down to the ground early in that round one was able to control it couple times he got into the cruc- crucifix position and was raining down right, pu- right hand punches on Renault. It wasn't that they were really hurting Renault, but she was just being controlled so badly. And the fact that if you can't get out of the crucifix, they will stop it because you're not effectively or intelligently defending yourself at that point. Um, Luckily for Renault, the round ended, but the fear about this was that if Renault uh, did get into that position once again in the second round, she may not have enough energy to you know, force, force McMahon in, back into side control and things of that nature that would take a break from landing some of those punches and that she would get finished just again because she wasn't able to intelligently defend herself. McMahon came back out. She was um, throwing heavy, heavy heat in this fight. Um, she Renault just looked really tentative due to, the, to, due to the takedown that she suffered in the first round. Uh, Renault finally threw first. That was a big thing that Daniel Cormier was talking about, that Renault wasn't throwing first and that's why she wasn't landing. And Sarah McMahon and actually in that first round was actually a land pretty effectively against Renault. But when Renault finally did strike first, she landed with huge with that right-handed drop. McMahon, McMahon started throwing back and going for a takedown, getting a little bit um, sloppy. They got back up and McMahon uh, finally did get the trip takedown, so that was very good news for McMahon, but the problem was is that Renault quickly transitioned to a triangle. McMahon's hand on her arm that wasn't caught in the triangle choke was still in a little bit. I thought that that was giving her just enough room, a little bit of space and Renault didn't have the triangle choke uh, completely locked up, but then that hand became a non-issue once Renault grabbed her, was able to sink it up a little bit uh, further, get a lot more pressure into that uh, triangle choke, and it, it was just a matter of, of time before Renault got the uh, submission victory. She, uh, Sarah McMahon tapped, and then she just let out a ton of emotion. She was extremely excited for the win. Um. She she was talking about after the fight. She wasn't complaining too much, but she said, "You know, I haven't been talked about enough. I haven't had my due here in the UFC yet. Um, I just want to be talked about. I'm going for that title." She's 40 years old. Pretty incredible story. Pretty incredible career so far in the UFC. I mean, she uh, beat Alexis Dufrane. She defeated Jessica andrage who was in the incorrect weight division. Then she lost to Holly Holm and Ashley Evans Smith. Uh, by decisions, but since then she beat Milana Dudava, I believe. Then She drawed with Bechcohea, so uh, maybe that wasn't the best performance right there, but then she goes on to beat Talita Bernardo, and then she defeated Sarah McMahon, so two finishes in her past two fights. That's a a pretty good uh, streak right there. She has not been defeated in her last four fights, so I would say this, she looks to be one of these women who has, uh, the farther she goes in her career, she actually does look to be improving. I think that she can be a real issue for women because she has good submission skills, really good striking. She's a big, big 135-er. She looked a little bit bigger than Sarah McMahon, and there's not a lot of people that look bigger than Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon is a beast of a woman at 135 pounds. Um, I would definitely love to see... Uh, Marion Renault maybe possibly take on a Jermaine Durandome top type or someone of that nature. I think that would be a fantastic fight. Durandame is ranked number four in the division at this point. I think it'll be a little bit of time before Juliana Pena comes back. You could do a Holly Holm fight possibly or maybe to fight the winner of Kat Zingano. Um, and Ketlin Vieira, I believe, is who Kat Zingano is fighting next. But if it was up to me, I would do Renault versus Jermaine Durandamy, and whoever wins that fight would be potentially one fight away from the title shot. So that would be a fantastic fight. Next fight on the card was uh, was Marina Maraz versus Angela Hill. I would just say this for this fight: it was pretty plain, cut and simple. Uh, I I just want to commend the refs, the judges on this fight. They got it right. It was 30-27, I think, across all three judges, and they gave it a unanimous decision victory for Angela Hill. Angela Hill definitely won this fight due to the fact that she was just landing more punches, more effective punches. Even though Marina Mraz was coming forward a lot with a lot of pressure, and she was throwing a lot more, I thought that Almost every single round, Angela Hill was landing the better punches, the better strikes. She was landing more effectively. She was a lot more accurate. She was throwing less, but way more accurate. I would like to see the fight metric numbers to see how many rounds she actually outstruck Marina Mraz. I would be surprised if um, she didn't at least outstrike her at least two of the rounds. But also, they were just much more powerful. There was a lot more pop to Angela Hill's strikes. And because of that, I gave... Uh, Angela hill the victory. I thought that this was um, this ended up being just the the real story of the fight, and I was just worried that the rest were gonna the judges were gonna screw it up and say, oh well, you know this girl she landed a good amount and she was throwing a lot more, so we'll give her the fight. Uh, no way! I thought Angela Hill won this fight. Kudos to the judges for giving this fight. To um, all three of them giving this fight to Angela Hill did a good job in scoring this fight, no doubt about it. So, uh, good effort by Marina Maraz. She's a real tough fighter to to face in this division because she just has fantastic cardio. She keeps coming forward. She does throw a lot. She just needs to get be, be- She just needs to be better at actually landing those strikes and not just throwing them. She wastes a lot of energy in doing so. Unfortunately for her, it doesn't really matter because she has such fantastic cardio. But imagine if she was able to land at least 15% more on those strikes, she would be able to do a lot of damage. Really tire some women out in this, and she would be, um, you know, similar to Joanna check where Joanna check is so accurate, so crisp, has such good technique. But she just throws so many punches, so many strikes, that she really, really does some bad damage to to these women. Um, you know, similar to the Diaz brothers. The Diaz brothers, when they're at their best, when they're at their most offensive, is when they're just throwing. They're just pop, 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 pop. Over and over again, they don't have the most power in their hands, but because they land so much, so often, so uh, with such consistency, they're able to get those knockouts. For Angela Hill... Um, what's next for her I mean this is gonna be interesting I I think she needs to get someone and another person in the top 15 uh, let's let's take a look at who she's fought before let's see here Angela Hill yeah so she's fought. she lost to Nina Ansaroff by decision in her last fight she won against Ashley Yoder then lost against Jessica Andraj and then before that she had a run in invicta in her last ufc run she fought really tough fights against tisha torres and rose namajunas when she where she lost both fights but there's no shame in that i i say give her someone within that ten to fifteen range again i know that she just beat moroz but maybe do uh... you know courtney casey's an interesting fight i believe she's booked up right now but that would be a good fight i believe she's booked up with Watterson. Uh, Randa Marcos is a really challenging fight for her. Um, that that would be a good fight. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo may be a little bit too high at this point, but you put her in there against a lot of those, girl, those women, even, you know, before the top five of the division, I think she's extremely competitive. I think she's been one of the most improved fighters in quite some time. She is 33 years old, so she's a little bit on the wrong side as far as her ages, but I think that she still has a lot in her for sure. Um, she doesn't really have a lot of fight mileage, so I think she still has room for improvement as well, which is a good thing for her. But let's see her get some of those top 10, uh, you know, 6 through 15, and maybe specifically like 6 through 12, those type of fighters, that, that's who she, she be, who she should be fighting next. Next fight we want to talk about is uh, Alan Ban versus Ben Saunders. This was a fantastic fight. I haven't seen what is good, is the um, fight of the night yet, but I would anticipate that maybe this is a real early candidate for it. Saunders was pressuring early. Ban was able to land some nice combinations. That was the difference in this fight, I felt. Saunders, Saunders was able to land effective punches of his own, and he even... It seemed like he rocked Joe Ban for a brief moment in that first round, but Joe Ban just was really doing a good job of uh, of keeping on his bike, of course, and just uh, moving around. And Saunders was never able to really land some. Real nice combos. Joe Ban was, although was able to come back. He started landing a nice inside leg leg kick to Saunders that really paid off in the fight. He really started to hurt Saunders with that, and then that allowed Joe Ban to also pick and choose when he wanted to blitz forward for his own combos. It was just really a huge issue for Saunders, as you could tell at the end of the round, he was starting to move gingerly on it back to his corner whenever. he did take those inside leg kicks. Joe Ban continued with the same type of game plan. He came out, he continued to attack with those uh, combos. He was starting to land just with a variety of different strikes, whether it be uppercut, straight hooks, a variety of elbows as well. Those were really effective in cutting up and really wearing down Saunders in that second round. Saunders was continuing the pressure and occasionally landing his his the strikes. Um, some straights of his own to keep Joe Ban honest especially cuz Joe Ban has had some issues with being knocked out in some of his fights but eventually Joe Ban had a beautiful beautiful sequence where he got the kick on the inside leg, on the inside of the leg Saunders really was hurt by that as far as his mobility he kind of turned his back a little bit once he turned around uh, Saunders was off balance and Joe Ban landed a beautiful, beautiful straight to the chin as a follow-up strike, and that resu- resulted in um, Saunders landing a really nasty knockout blow. He landed backwards to where both of his his legs were under him, kind of bent back, and he, he was just completely out. It was a vicious, vicious knockout. Spectacular uh, performance by Alan Joban, who was very emotional. He was fighting on the, the night of his... He and his wife's 6th anniversary, and it was his, his kid's first um, time being and attending one of his fights, so he's super emotional, but it was a fantastic victory. I'm never, ever, ever, ever sad to watch an Al Joe Van fight. I believe he's like 36 at this point. He does have issues with his chin, and he does have issue in his game where he does get hit a little bit too often, and uh, that's a real issue for him. But he's a real entertaining fighter to watch. I'd definitely like to see what he does next in his UFC career. Okay, next fight was Sam Alvey versus Marcin Procneo, Prac- 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 I believe. Something like that. Uh, I believe it's Marchine Procneo. And early on, it looked like there was a little bit of hype against- on this Procneo guy. Alvey going up in weight did concern me a little bit. Even though he has the height, he was a little pudgy up. Out- At middleweight, but he claimed that he was a little bit more fit for this fight, even though he was going up in weight. Early on, Alvi was threatening uh, with a guillotine. Early on, when they got into a little bit of a clinch, Pracnio was effective with uh, some knees to the inside of Alvi's knees against the cage. Once they broke up, Alvi was starting to counter. Pracnio was throwing with a lot of power, but he just was missing. He just wasn't landing a whole lot. He just continued to come forward. Pracnio Eventually was countered with a right, um, and was really hurt, and then he just continued to move forward with his hands down, chin up, and Alvi caught him again, right on the chin, right in the sweet spot with a, with another right, and that, that, that was the fight, it was a walk-off knockout victory right then, right then and there, they stopped it, Proc- Procneo was a little bit, um, upset with the stoppage, but I thought it was a good stoppage. I mean, the guy pretty much fell forward in into the takedown that he was attempting, not really understanding what he was doing. It was just kind of instinct on his body's part. Uh, it, it was a nasty nasty knockout. Great win by Sam, Smiling Sam Alvey. He says that he wants to fight J- John Volante next. I wouldn't be mad at that fight. I think that that would be a good fight. I'm not a big, huge fan of John Volante as far as his potential. I think he's Fun fighter to watch, but I think those are the type of fights that John Volante and Sam Alvey need to be in. Uh, fights where they can put on a show, you know, two guys that are well known and and you know the fans could get a little excited about for a prelim fight. Um, so yeah, let's see that next. I uh, Thought it was a funny promo that yeah, he said that uh, not a coincidence that two days after he announced he was going to light heavyweight and accepted this fight that Daniel Cormier accepted a heavyweight f- fight. So uh, pretty funny there, Cormier playing along saying, you're right, I was. that's the reason why I went to heavyweight, c- to avoid you. But um, nonetheless, it called out John Vellante. I think that that would be a fun fight should John Vellante be available for that contest. Next fight was Honey Yaya versus Russell Doan. Honey Yaya just really had his, or Ronnie Yaya as they said that he prefers uh, really had his way in this fight. Just got it to the ground way too often. Russell Doan wasn't able to get a striking off. Wasn't able to be defensive enough on the ground. And then just finally got co- uh, caught in that submission uh, arm triangle choke. And that was all she wrote there. Alex Perez versus Eric Shelton Perez with the unanimous decision. And then Manny Bermudez uh, getting the guillotine choke over Albert Morales. So good night of fights overall. Really entertaining a lot of... In- a lot of uh, good stoppages, and then the fights that did go to decision, uh, those ended up being pretty entertaining in themselves. Um, unfortunately, a little bit marred by the fact that there is a little bit of controversy with the Jeremy Stevens and Josh Emmett fight in the way that it ended, but um, that's the way things go f- sometimes, and we'll just have to see what comes out of that, if there's any repercussions for that, or if uh, they kind of just look past it, but before we let you go, I just want to talk about a couple different things. It looks like Jimmy Rivera versus Marlon Marais is allegedly in the works for UFC Fight Night Utica as the main event. That would be a fantastic matchup. I would love to see that fight. I think that these are two of the, the best guys in that bantamweight division. Um, I definitely believe in Marlon Marais' skills. I thought that ever since I've seen him in the UFC, in the WSOF, I'm sorry, that he could be a potential title contender and, and champion in the UFC. So I would love to see that fight to come to fruition, especially due to the fact that it seems like there's a little bit of a rival brewing on who was not accepting the fight last time that the fight was offered and, and who was running away from it. Uh, four and five in the division, I think that the, fight, the winner of that fight has a real strong claim to being able to fight the champion TJ Dillashaw, maybe that sets up a a potential Cody Garbrandt versus Dominic Cruz part two fight um, in the meantime so that they can duke it out and see who would be in line after that. But yeah, I mean, if you put Marlon Moraes versus Jimmy Rivera, I think that that fight could definitely... Determine who's next in line for T.J. Dillashaw after a potential Dillashaw versus Demetrius Johnson fight. So, fantastic fight that that would be should they be able to get that one together. Then you have fight UFC Fight Night Atlantic City. The main event there is going to be Edson Barboza versus Kevin Lee. That is a fantastic fight as well. Very excited to see that Kevin Lee is coming back into the fold. That's going to be April 21st. Edson Barboza is going to be a huge test for Kevin because Barboza is so clearly much better and faster uh, than Kevin Lee is. Lee does have a good amount of power, but when it comes to striking, I don't think it's much of a contest here. Uh, I I don't think Kevin Lee is a bad uh, fighter, but... Uh, when it comes to striking, but I think Barboza definitely has the advantage. And then on the other hand, Kevin Lee showed some real strength and real good wrestling ability in his previous two fights and grappling abilities against uh, Michael Chiesa and being able to t- get Chiesa to ground and get the submission victory. And then also being able to take down a really hard guy in Tony Ferguson who doesn't go down often. So that's going to be a real issue for Barboza. So this is a A perfect matchup for two of the most elite guys in the lightweight division. I'm really excited to see how that plays out for sure. Um, And then the last one, I believe, that came out as far as uh, fights that are exciting coming up. Actually, there's two of them. Honado Jacare Souza is going to be fighting Calvin Gaslam. I think that's an excellent fight as well. This is going to be a tough, tough fight for... Jacare Souza. This is a, g- a guy in Kelvin Gaslam who's very hard to take down. He's very stocky and stout and low to the ground, has got a lot of good balance. I think that Gaslam definitely has the power to take out um, Jacare. I think that as uh, aside from Robert Whitaker, Gaslam almost fights in a very similar way as Robert does. Um, Gaslam, they definitely still have different styles. They definitely still have different body compositions as well, but I don't think this is a good matchup for Jacare. Jacare is definitely going to have to get this to the ground, this fight to the ground, and get a submission victory out of it. But Gaslam, with his cardio, with his frenetic pace, with the fact that he's able to come forward, defend the takedown, and really um, do a good job of landing his own power strikes. Now, he Did get taken down in the Chris Weidman fight and uh, lost that fight, of course, but I just have a feeling that it's going to be difficult for Jacare to get this fight to the ground considering that he's more of a guy that will get you to the cage and trip you down. I don't know if he's going to be able to hold Gaslam for too long as opposed to where Weidman was a little bit, you know, his background comes from wrestling, so he's a little bit more in tune with how to get the fight to the ground. Um... Last fight that was announced, it looks like Amanda Nunes is set to defend her title against Raquel Pennington at UFC 224. Definitely excited to see this. Raquel Pennington is one of the women and one of the fighters in UFC that has been most improved over her time of her UFC career. Um, that's starting to turn out to be a pretty good car. May 12th in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Um I definitely like to see that fight. Now that Cyborg has a fight, I think that that's the right move. To do uh, Raquel Pennington versus Amanda Nunes. Raquel Pennington was definitely is definitely deserving of the shot. Uh, let's see what her fight, what her ranking has been as of late. Let's see here, Raquel Pennington. All right, so let's see what Rocky's been doing as of late. She, When she came into the UFC, she beat, she defeated Roxanne Modafferi. She then lost to Jessica Andrade. She then won against Ashley Evans-Smith. And then lost to Holly Holman in a fight that was a split decision, which a lot of people thought maybe she had won. She then got some revenge on Andrade and was able to submit her with a rear naked choke. Took a split decision victory away from Vech Cohea. She Was able to get a unanimous decision victory against Elizabeth Phillips. And then was absolutely sensational in being able to defeat Misha Tate by unanimous decision at UFC 205. So it has been quite some time since she um, has fought. That could be a real issue for her. I think it's a real tough matchup against Amanda Nunes. But she has been one of the most improved fighters. She's just turning 29, coming off an injury, but just turning 29, so she could be going into the prime of her career right now, and uh, she's definitely had a lot of time to improve, so that should be a fun fight as well. Amanda Nunes comes out clean. If Chris Cyborg comes out clean, then I believe that you can do that super fight later on. You don't have to do it on the same fight card as uh, Daniel Cormier versus versus Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title in that super fight, and potentially Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw is being discussed for that fight, you could put on a separate pay-per-view where that ends up being the main event. You put a strong main card together, and you might have a 500,000 pay-per-view by pay-per-view separately of that Miocic versus um, Cormier pay-per-view. So I think that that would be the way to go for the UFC there. So, just want to touch on those fights because those are some huge and some really exciting fights coming out. Um, let me know what you think of the fights tonight, uh, what you thought of the action, whether or not you thought Jeremy Stevens should have gotten either disqualified or it should have been a no contest, and if you think that they should overturn the ruling of him winning because of the illegal, alleged illegal... Uh, elbows and a illegal knee of course as well. Uh, tell me what you thought about all the fights and who really came out the winner of this one. It was a fantastic night of fights. Um, I'll be back soon. Until then, hope you all enjoy- y'all enjoyed the fights tonight and enjoyed the analysis. Have a good one.